So this is the third episode of the ACC Now podcast, and it will be our first UNC-focused podcast. And I'm the Observer Sports columnist, Luke Cock, and I'm still hosting, even though I keep promising someone else will at some point, and everybody's already sick of me. But I got C.L. Brown, our UNC beat writer today. Uh, we've talked about Duke. We've talked about State. We're going to talk about UNC today. We've got some ACC issues, both basketball and otherwise. Uh, but now we've kind of done the full rotation of ACC writers. And CL, I know you're like super excited. <laughs> Always, man. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm 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 voting for you to be a permanent host. <laughs> I, I know your schedule doesn't. If that, <laughs> if nominated, I will not run. If elected, <laughs> I will not serve. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, uh, yeah. So, but, but yes, this is, this is good. And we finally, you and I finally get a chance to catch up here. I want to start with something that happened this week, um, that we've been talking about, uh, coming into the week, which was the ACC's forfeit policy, which had kind of been written in August and then re-upped in, in October that if you, you know, the idea was get your team vaccinated because if you have a positive COVID test, you could potentially forfeit. And that made sense at those times. But what we've seen with, with breakthrough infections, uh, it, it does not matter as much as it once did. And we actually had our first forfeit, which was uh, BC at Wake scheduled for Wednesday night. And then on Wednesday, the ACC changed that policy retroactively, uh, moved it back to a postponement, rescheduling, no contest situation. So, CL, what were kind of your thoughts going into this basketball season, whether or not that would work? And, and how do you feel about the change? Yeah, well, uh, I'm probably just ignorant, <laughs> like a lot of people when it comes to COVID in terms of, uh, I, I didn't expect that we would be at this point. Like I, I thought once the vaccines rolled out, even though you have a section of people that, you know, don't want to get involved with that, that's a different story. Um, I thought enough teams, enough coaches, enough players, would make this to where uh, basketball, the scheduling would not be affected. You'd have teams ready to go. They could play. If somebody ended up even testing positive for COVID, they would be vaccinated and it wouldn't be a big deal. You know what I mean? You'd still have enough players to go forward. So I, I was of that ignorance that everything was going to be okay this season. And obviously the Omicron variant threw a monkey wrench into that whole process. So um, as you put out in your column before they had this this uh, 80s meeting of the the ACC's uh, athletic directors, um, this needed to change. I mean, and, and that's that's to me, that's the beauty of this. They weren't so stringent and just like we made this policy, we're sticking to it. They weren't yeah. so uh, this wasn't so etched in stone that they couldn't be agile and, and adapt to what's going on. So I know. Um, Boston College. I didn't look to see if Boston College. Do they still? <laughs> no, they get they they, they they get the loss back. They're they're oh, okay. The, okay, the good, Wake good. goes to whatever it is back to one and zero. Although yeah, and they were gonna Wake Forest was gonna get another forfeit. I think Florida State. I mean Wake Forest is gonna be three and zero. Florida State, yeah, having only played one game, which you know would have been their best start in the ACC since <laughs> like ninety eight or whatever it was, or oh eight oh nine oh eight oh nine, which would have been you know very amusing uh not to take anything away from wake which is obviously having yeah, a, yeah. a really good year it's your second year i just i feel like we learned we learned one lesson from the nc state experience at the college world series and we still haven't learned the other 
The first lesson is it's a competitive advantage to be vaccinated. I think everybody's figured that out. Like, like if you thought Nick Saban or John Calipari was going to let half their team be unvaccinated, like guys like that are not going to miss an angle. And then I think there's six Alabama football players who aren't boosted or maybe aren't vaccinated, but the vast majority of that team was, was vaccinated quickly because, you know, good coaches recognize that. The lesson that we didn't learn is we've got to figure out a better way to deal with breakthrough positives. And, you know, the pro leagues are wrestling with this a little bit right now. The NFL went to this rule where, you know, you're, if you're vaccinated and boosted and you test positive, you're not likely to spread it. Like your viral load is going to be low. So as soon as you have two negative tests, you can come back. You don't have to wait the whole 10 to 14 days. Now that makes sense in the NFL uh, where you have, you know, sort of uh, union to negotiate with and things like that. I, I think it's a little tougher for the ACC. I, I hope the ACC, the medical, you know, the, the fabled medical advisory group that sits on high and makes all these decisions. I hope that they come to a conclusion that that works, but I also understand. And I wrote this when you're dealing with 10 different States and 15 different municipalities, yeah. you know, it can get tricky trying to find a one size fits all policy, but we, We've got to figure out collectively in sports a better way to deal with these breakthrough positives uh, because we're, we're, we've got to the point now where we're sort of penalizing vaccinated people the same way we're treating or treat. I don't know if penalizing is the right word. Treating unvaccinated people the same way we're treating vaccinated people doesn't make a lot of sense to me, given what we know about the virus. Of course, we're still also going crazy about, you know, hand sanitizer and, and you know, bleach wipes, even like months after we figured out that this is an airborne deal. like. Seriously, like we can we use the hand sanitizer anyway because it's flu season. But as far as COVID goes, you're not, you know, the mask, it's the mask is gonna wear an N95, KN95 mask. That's what's gonna protect you more than washing your hands three times a day, although that will keep you from getting the flu. So yeah, I agree. I was gonna say as a quick side note here, I, I was just curious what what's the NHL where are they where do they stand in terms of those breakthrough positives? Because I mean they they're essentially on pause now, right? Yeah. So they, they paused early for the Christmas break uh, just because they had waves of these Omicron breakthrough infections. And they, 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 they were trying to figure out how to deal with it. I think they're going to end up where the NFL ended up, which is basically as soon as you test negative twice, your viral load is, is that low at that point that you don't need to sit out the 10 or 14 days. Yeah. Uh, you know, these poor hockey players, you know, Ethan Bear had to quarantine in a hotel room in San Jose for 10 days. And, they basically had to pull this Argo operation to get these guys out of British Columbia and fly <laughs> them home. Crazy. You know, they brought them across the border in an ambulance and it took three hours to talk their way across the border, even though it all been arranged. And then, you know, Tom Dunn and the owner sent a private jet to a private airfield and outside of Seattle and Snohomish County. And then they fly them to St. Paul, the small airport in St. Paul, not an MSP. And they pick up the guys who were stuck in Minneapolis and, you know, they all came home, you know, the Perkins are playing at the time and they've got this, you know, yeah. CIA exfiltration <laughs> operation going on, international espionage. I mean, it was it was not sneaky, but it was complex and expensive and all that. So, yeah, you've got to figure out a better way. The, the interesting thing to me about the hockey example is because of the timing and the way things worked out on vaccines and, you know, sort of the overlap between seasons, uh, a lot of players, as it turns out, were not boosted. And I think mm. we're seeing a lot of that in college basketball, too. I think both yeah. hockey players and college basketball players were all kind of waiting for the exam break or the holiday break where you get three or four days between games uh, to get boosted and then recover from any side effects and then get back at it. Unfortunately, the virus just moved faster than that. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it, as we've seen. So, yeah, I think it's good for the ACC, but, you know, I agree with you. We, we're far enough into this that we should figure out a better way of doing things. Yeah. Virus is not waiting us, waiting around for us to figure it out. That's for sure. All right. Let's talk a little Carolina. I want to mention briefly, although I think this is probably a bit of a false alarm, your tweet about the attendance at the Smith Center the other night where you had a video of people not really filling in before the App State game. You know, as we talked about before we recorded this, the things did fill in after that. But I do feel like at Carolina a little bit, we always talk about attendance at the Smith Center in December. It's never quite what it is, you know, for ACC play. And I thought the Michigan crowd was fantastic uh, Mm -hmm. for that game. But State struggled with it a little bit. Duke obviously is a different kind of situation. But I I feel like maybe in the 20-something years I've been here and you've been doing this and all that, it does feel like that's changed a little bit. Like, I don't know, would, would a would a game against App State for UNC have been that empty in 1998? Probably not. But I also feel like, I feel like the pandemic changed sports viewing as a whole. Um, and not so much, and I joked with somebody on Twitter last night, not so much in that people think, if we attend the game, we'll be at risk because I don't think most people care at this point. I think once we had the lockdown, people just they can't be at home 24 seven. But I do think just kind of priorities maybe shifted a little bit and it's not as as important. It's not even even TV viewing. It's not as this game is coming on. I got to be here to watch it or, or I have to go to watch it. I, I think there's much more of a, a, you know, a little bit more carefree attitude, a little bit more perspective of it. I mean, sure, you still have your diehards, um, you know, who don't want to miss any <laughs> any shot, any dribble, any rebound, who will be there every time. But I, I do think um, just a, a little bit more, there's a little bit more casualness to it now, you know, um, and and I think that's I think that's nationwide. I mean, I, yeah. I still keep in touch with a bunch of my people in Kentucky um, and the University of Kentucky. Their attendance isn't what it used to be. And and that place, you know, I think, in my opinion, even more so than the triangle uh, eats, li- eats, lives and breeds basketball. So, uh, you know, it's 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 just not as important as it once was, um, given you know, this pandemic that we're in. I think there is a sense of maybe if I have a choice of things to do, going and sitting shoulder to shoulder with 20,000 or 60,000 other people is maybe not tops on my list unless I really want to. Like it's not tops on my list for Wright State or Furman or App State. I might go, you know, the Michigan game or the state Louisville game, uh, though maybe I'll get out of the house for that. The other part of it is I think we've gotten used to, and this was not true when you and I were younger, I think we've gotten used to every game being on TV Mm. and you have the option to watch every game, even if you don't, like, I agree with you totally. I don't think people are paying as much devoted attention as they once did watching games on TV either. But I also feel like that's, you know, in the old days, maybe if you wanted to see UNC play Furman or App State, you might've had to go to the Smith center to see it. If you wanted to see NC state play Wright state, you'd have to go to PNC or Reynolds to see it. So I think there's a little of that. There's almost like availability fatigue 
Like there's something yeah, on, yeah. you know, especially with the ACC network, there's, there's good and bad there. I think the bad is almost overexposure. You know, you're sort of, uh, you know, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's always something on, hmm. always something going on. Yeah. I think that may be part of the dynamic, but I definitely think it has changed in a lot of, I mean, I remember when I was in college, you know, I wouldn't miss a home game. I go to a lot of road games because uh, where I went to school, it was easy to drive to most of the games. I don't get the sense that's as important. I think, you know, certainly there are diehard student sections and, and all that, but I, yeah, I just sure. don't get the sense it's as big a part of campus life as maybe it once was. And that's probably just a, you know, generational as much as anything, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, you might have to go to that Appalachian state game because you weren't going to get a ticket. <laughs> you yeah. know, it was going to be too tough or too expensive to go to uh, one of the ACC games. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit get off my lawn when it comes to talking about yeah, got, <laughs> back got, in my day. We got so old, so old, fast, so old, yeah. so fast. <laughs> uh, speaking of, 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 of old people stuff, is there any chance, let's pivot to UNC in particular here, is there any chance at all in your mind that Sam Howell comes back next year after this bowl game? Um, there is zero point <laughs> zero zero nine 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 chance actually i didn't do that right but <laughs> <laughs> but there's a very very minuscule you know i always leave just that yeah. little bit of i think that still rounds up to point zero 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 one if you just take it out far <laughs> enough yeah i preface this by the old person part you know because there's a sort of generational divide also in the guys skipping bowl games and people getting really angry about that and other people being like, hey, man, the kid's got to get onto the league. And why would you risk your life in a bowl game named after a brand of mayonnaise? Uh, but I found it interesting that Sam decided to play in the bowl game. Obviously, it's a bit of a farewell in Charlotte. Uh, you know, maybe if it weren't in his hometown, things would be different. But I also get the sense he may want to put a bit of an exclamation point on a season where he put up pretty good numbers, but didn't get that, you know, didn't end up having the Heisman campaign that he maybe thought he would in part because the team wasn't very good. So you've got a chance to sort of exit with a different taste in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely after that state game, the collapse, I mean, he definitely didn't want that to be his last time out, but I I mean, I think largely by and large, he just hadn't made the announcement because he didn't want it to be Matt Brown sort of spoke to this. He didn't want it to be uh, take any spotlight away from, the rest of the team and, and them getting to this bowl and their preparation for this bowl. Uh, but I also kind of feel like the opposite happened because he didn't make that he, well, Mac, out loud. Mac kept yeah. saying it yeah. and then he kept having to backtrack the next day. I mean, like before the Wofford game, like, yeah, I mean, he could sit this one out, then he's got the state game and then he'll move on. And then the next day it was, Sam was like, well, I haven't made a decision yet. Yeah. Poor Mac yeah. was had to be like, well, Sam, <laughs> Sam actually hasn't decided yet. And he's been saying it. Mac has been saying it basically the the, the better part of a year. I think he like, said it in Charlotte at kickoff. Like I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had he did. He said it then. He's 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 been saying it. Sam was would not see his senior year. This was going to be his last year. So you know, I, I mean, if you read the tea leaves, even in in a question that Sam was asked about playing in the bowl, um, he used the words full circle. You know, yeah. and yeah. you know, use the word full circle if you're coming back or or you're leaving yourself, you know, if if you're really contemplating it. But well, and I, it started like it with against South Carolina in Charlotte. Yeah. 
you know, that was, that was where it all began. So it, you know, it's not just sort of an empty metaphor there. There's, he's actually right. Yeah, true. true. (laughs) Uh, Basketball wise, I'm, I'm both baffled and intrigued by this UNC team, which at times seems like has embraced sort of the Hubert Davis tweak on Carolina basketball. And at times looks completely lost. I thought the effort at both ends and the shot selection and the patience against Michigan showed what this team can be. And obviously the the Purdue and Kentucky games were just abject disasters where it looked like nobody had the faintest idea what was going on or was interested in finding out. You've yeah, obviously Tennessee, Tennessee, Purdue, sorry. Game yeah, Purdue was okay. Yes, yeah. you're correct. I'm sorry. Yes. Ten, the Tennessee game was a disaster. The Purdue game. Yeah, actually the triangles held its own against Purdue this year. If you want to yeah. dig, dig into it. <laughs> Not much, not much else, but we'll get to that later. Uh, what's your take? I mean, you've seen more of this team than I have. You've seen more of the weeknight games and whatnot. I mean, what, what's your take on this team in the big picture? Are they getting what Hubert is trying to do? Is effort the issue? Is it something else? I, I'm not sure that it's entirely effort alone in, in, in those, you know, those games that just blew up in their face, Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, but I, But I do think... To me, it all stems defensively, where where they're really having the issues. Offensively, you know, I think it all works itself out because they have enough, uh, they have enough players, they have enough weapons, they have enough shooters that even when they're making mistakes, they can play their way they they can play their way through it and you know and and just kind of figure it out. But defensively. I, th- I think, and defensively, I don't, I don't just blame players. I mean, I, I kind of look at what Hubert has done in terms of, you know, Tennessee and Kentucky, they couldn't stop the ball from getting in the lane. So I'm thinking maybe you should try, try zone for a little bit, just see how it does, you know, see if you can't stop it, stop that penetration. Um, and we've seen coach K do that, you know, yeah. Famously with that 2015 team, they couldn't stop anybody at one point from getting in the lane. And, uh, you know, he, he seemed like he went against his whole moral fiber. 2018, <laughs> he played, played zone against Syracuse in the NCAA yeah. tournament. The, mas- the, the pupil has become the master and got mocked by Grant Hill for slapping the floor. One of my favorite, <laughs> one of my yeah. favorite Duke NCAA tournament moments. Uh, with the, the Grant Hill mocking them for slapping the floor in the zone. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I, my take on it after the, the disaster in Connecticut was yes, obviously defense was a huge issue. I really hated in that. And I'll throw the Purdue game in there too. I really hated their shot selection as much as anything, the sort of settling for bad jump shots. The, you know, obviously Hubert's done some things differently. It doesn't look at times like, you know, you're not seeing as much of that secondary break stuff that, you know, Roy just, you ran every, every opportunity. Uh, some of that looks a little different. I just felt like the shot selection was terrible. Now the Kentucky game, shot selection didn't matter. It just didn't matter. They just got blown off the floor. And I think Kentucky's good. I got criticized that week for having Kentucky in my top 25, uh, but their numbers are still good. Their analytics are still good. Uh, they haven't beat anyone that's really good, but I, what I, that was the Kentucky team I saw against Duke, mm. you know, big, strong, killing you on the boards. I mean, can you imagine if a Roy team didn't have an offensive rebound in a half? Ooh. Oh my God. <laughs> we get all the, you get a, a year's worth of frickins. <laughs> a year's worth of, 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 you know, 
of all of them. You might you might and get a the shout out awards. to how they didn't get more rebounds than Wanda more often. Oh, Wanda would have had a Wanda, Wanda would have had a hell of a night. That would they would have had to retire Wanda's jersey after that night. But uh, I, you know that it's just I just shocked because you saw it against Michigan. It's there. Yeah. You know, it's it's in these guys. They obviously were eight. Now let's let's be fair. I guess un, let's be unfair. Michigan was terrible. Couldn't make a shot. Yeah, they were. They were. Looked, looked, it looked like they had the flu. Obviously, uh, you know, foul trouble was was a huge issue with, with with Dickinson. Like the whole deal, it was not Michigan's best. Michigan started slowly and never got going. But UNC played a role in that. I mean, UNC oh, pushed sure. them into that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I, I'm I'm baffled and intrigued, as I said earlier. I just I just don't know what to think about this. Yeah. Well, I I think part of it too is this being. First first year coach, first time head coach, Hubert Davis, he's still working it out, too, you know, um, yeah. and I think you look at the rotation as 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 something that is somewhat of a litmus of, of how he's still working it out, because there doesn't to me, I, I don't really see a rhyme or read like I don't really see a consistency with, OK, this is what I'm trying to establish. This is what I'm trying to do by playing X number of guys off the and, bench. And, I mean, and this, and this lineup is designed to do this. You, I, you don't yeah. really necessarily see that. And, and in, uh, it's not fair to compare Hubert to Roy in every respect, but by this time of the year, by, by late December, Roy would have gone from playing 12 guys to his core eight or nine, you know, he would have yeah. played 12 or 13 against Furman or whatever. But by now, as, as ACC play comes around, he would have narrowed it down to whatever his number was going to be, which is obviously bigger than K's, but nine or 10 or 11. I, I don't get the sense Hubert's done that yet. You know, Kerwin Walton seems to come and go. And, and obviously that that's a whole nother podcast, but it, it, it just doesn't feel like we've figured out who's, who are his guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also I think uh, one thing that Roy used to do and people would be, <laughs> depending on who the player was would be questioning his coaching acumen like when Luke May as a freshman when he's putting him in the game and people are like why is he in the game or Jackson Simmons or anybody yeah. you know yeah. but it, it was like a seed being planted and a little experience here and there and it added up and helped later on down the line we're not seeing that not to say that Hubert has to do it that way but right we're, we're not seeing that I mean the freshman uh, DeMarco Dunn and Dontre yeah, Styles. We haven't seen them at all. No, and there's really, and that was what was funny about the Kentucky game in the first half before that game totally got away. DeMarco Dunn's neighbors get called, and he's yeah, in the he, game. He showed up like it was an accident or something. Yeah, like, like they I'm forgot like, someone else's jersey. <laughs> Did he mean to do that? Like it, it just seemed kind of strange for him to not have played. You know, they're up at 22 at one point on Furman and yeah. Dunn isn't in the game at that time. And then you're going to put him in against a caliber of opponent as Kentucky early in the game. But um, I think he was still figuring all of that out. And and I feel like, you know, I feel like he should get the benefit of doubt to do that, too. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah. I mean, it's easy. Heavy handed on it. It's easy for Roy to risk losing a game by playing Andrew Playtech or Stolman White or Jackson Simmons or Luke May or Desmond Hubert as a freshman, it's easy for him because he knows, A, he's not going to get fired, and B, people aren't breathing down his neck that way. Like, I can't believe the way people are already out for Hubert. Like, like this is already some sort of disaster. Like, I'm, I mean, I guess I shouldn't Man. be shocked. I guess I shouldn't <laughs> be shocked, but but I still – I thought there would be more of a honeymoon than this. Yeah, when, uh, when Cincinnati, when Wes Miller – 
who was that they beat Arkansas, uh, whoever was ranked and they won. And, <laughs> and at the same time, Carolina's losing at the Mohegan sun. And, you know, I felt like there were rumblings then until, Monmouth and King Rice went and beat Cincinnati. Then it yeah. kind of like, okay, well, Mom, West doing, is going to have his doing UNC a solid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I think that also explains a little bit. You know, I, it's his first year. He's a first time head coach. If he doesn't feel comfortable getting minutes to guys, he does, may not feel like he has the luxury to give minutes to those guys yet. Uh, the way things are going, I always thought that was part of Roy's sort of coaching genius was you know, the, the minutes everyone complained about Luke May as a freshman, you know, coming like there was, it was, it, it's like paying into your 401k. Yeah. You know, yeah. Roy, Roy was going to get that beach house in the end. <laughs> exactly. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I do think the one really good thing for UNC is no matter how thin you slice it, they're either the, the third, fourth or fifth best. Maybe, you know, I, I heard Leonard Hamilton say second, third, fourth or fifth best team in the ACC. And if they can, get anything going in league play, you know, there's, there's going to be opportunities to win games there and, and, and get going, you know, yeah. build some momentum. So let's, let's pivot to that real quick. The, the state of the ACC, which has, like I, I tweeted this the other mm-hmm. night, if Duke doesn't win the regular season title solo for the first time since 06, like Durham must've gotten nuked. Like there's <laughs> no, there is absolutely zero excuse short of, some sort of serious COVID, you know, some sort of strange, yeah. uh, you know, the, you know, absolutely random event um, for Duke not to win the league this year. There's the, the ACC has one team in the Ken Palm top 20 and that's Duke, which is obviously in the top 10, five teams in the, in the Ken Palm top 50. I think right now this is a three or four bid league. That is really, really scary for a 15 team expanded league that added basketball teams. So that's my narrative. I, I think the ACC is down. I think there's actually some strength in the middle, you know, sort of in the teams four through eight, nine are not bad, but, but I don't think it's very good. What would you say? I mean, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of a time where I felt like the ACC was worse. Like it's, it's very bad. It, well, it's pretty bad <laughs> this year. Know. And I, I mean, I think some of it is just, you know, the teams that we're, we're used to seeing Tony Bennett's Virginia, for instance, Not um, no. And, and I gave him benefit of doubt, you know, because they're putting on a, bringing in a bunch of new faces and everything. And it, it's kind of just like, well, Tony Bennett's going to figure it out. It's not, you know what I mean? Like it, he'll Man, get his team where he needs to might. be. And uh, yeah, maybe eventually. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's a slow you know, process right now. Even if Tony gets it together, which he, he may very well, and there's some talent there. Here's the thing that strikes me. When I think of the ACC, and now this, again, going back to when I was a kid, to when I was in college, to when I was out of college, to when I moved here, all that. When I think of the ACC, I think a, te- a league that has a lot of teams capable of winning a national title. Mm-hmm. Duke, Carolina, Virginia, Maryland back in the day. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, you know, like like that to me is, uh, you know, Florida State recently, like who knows what happens in the COVID year with, with, with Florida State. That was a terrific yeah. basketball team. This year it's Duke, period. period. End of story. I mean, this might as well be the West Coast Conference with Gonzaga, although I would argue San Francisco. West Coast might get more teams. In. San Francisco <laughs> is the second best team in the ACC. Oh. It is. I won't go that far. 
It I'll is. There's no time. doubt in my mind that that's the case. I, I, <laughs> you know, and that and BYU, BYU would be the second best team. BYU is solid. I mean, so you know, Gonzaga is going to have a tougher path to a conference title than Duke is. Yeah. When you get down to it, um, what happened? What went wrong? I mean, that's a good question. Uh, you could throw the transfer portal in there. Um, you know, some schools losing players that that may may have stuck around. Some players who are at some teams that have added players who just haven't found their right rhythm, haven't gelled yet or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. You can make excuses. There are really no yeah. excuses because what, what Steve Forbes has done at Wake Forest in bringing in basically an entirely, entirely new team. Roster. Yeah. And uh, they haven't played the toughest schedule. I'll say that non-conference, but there's something to be said for, you know, them to be 11 and one right now. That was a big win at Virginia Tech because I thought Virginia Tech would be one of the top four teams in the ACC I think, this year. I think, I think it's and, totally. yeah, and and that was huge for them to go into Blacksburg and, and pull that off. So I definitely give them credit for that. But um, I really don't have a good reason. I, I I really don't have a good reason, Luke. Like it's I, it feels like you know, like like they talk about airplane crashes, like the Swiss cheese theory. Like you can have problems as long as all of your holes don't line up at once you know you mm. can have you know as a, you, you have multiple layers of sort of fail safe i feel like all of the acc's problems have come to roost at once you lose you're losing you've lost one you're about to lose another iconic coach and you're going to lose another one in 12 years when jim Beheim retires you've got <laughs> 20 <laughs> 20 you know virginia is down louisville i don't think is is that good and that just may be the way things are under chris mack but that's a program that under Patino was going to final fours and, and winning yeah. national titles asterisk. Uh, you know, Syracuse is not very good. Miami has been great at times under Jim Laranaga. Miami's just not very good. You know, BC is, is whatever that that's a, a, a work in progress. We'll see what happens, but you know, Virginia tech is better, but Florida state's down this year. I thought Notre Dame was going to be really good this year. It was a classic get old and stay old. Yeah. Mike team. They're not very good. Georgia They're tech not. won the league last year. Brought back Michael DeVoe, uh, you know, uh, should have a better team than this. They, Jordan Usher, uh, they've been terrible. Uh, uh, NC State, I thought now, in fairness, NC State losing Manny Bates kind of takes a chunk out of your identity. But there's no excuse for losing to Wright State at home. There's yeah. no excuse yeah. for that. And, and then, you know, I think Pitt, I, there was a period of time where I thought Jeff Capel was really going to get things going there. I don't know that you come back from from this. I I will say this as as far as things hard. look right now, it's going to be hard. Neither Boston College nor Pitt looks to be as historically bad as Boston College and Wake Forest and Pitt have been recently. Like those, like they they may not win a ton of ACC games, but I don't think they're going to end up as sort of as bad as you know the Dennis Clifford going out to lunch uh, Boston <laughs> College team. But it's just like. Honestly, this league looks like the Missouri Valley in the years when Wichita State was like a top 25 team. You got one top 25 team, yeah. a couple top 30 teams, and then a bunch of teams in the 60s and 70s and the 100s. It's just, I don't know. I don't know the answer either. I thought I knew it. Like in 18, the uh, freshman class wasn't that good. Uh, um, or maybe I'm thinking of 20, the year after Virginia won it. You know, there, there yeah, were 20. Yeah. The freshman class wasn't great. There wasn't a Zion. Um, teams were kind of in rebuilding cycles, but you know we're years down the road now, and things haven't gotten any better. So, and this is the ACC. 
the ACC. What's going on? All right, here's the thing. We're, we're going to wrap this up here. Here's the here's here's what I'm gonna, here's the thought I'm going to leave you with. So, yeah. Did expansion ruin ACC basketball? Not right away, but did it take away what made the ACC the ACC and allowed it to be good year after year after year? Well. I mean, you're talking to ACC apologist here, grew up in Winston-Salem, you know, big Maryland fan growing up, you know, uh, and big just college basketball in general. Never, never quite took to the NBA the way that I took to college basketball. So in my mind, yes, expansion did ruin what I loved about the ACC. Um I mean, <laughs> early on, I didn't even want Florida State, <laughs> you know, and I was just going from eight to nine teams. But, um, I mean, in, it, it shouldn't be that way. No, When you it, talk it about not. bringing in Syracuse, when you talk about bringing in Louisville, um, even Notre Dame has had its moments, even though they haven't been to, to Final Four or whatever. But, you know, you talk about historically – it's been a solid program, consistently been a solid program. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, something is missing. Like I felt something's like, off. yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know if it's because I definitely feel like something's missing when you lose some of the traditional rivalries like Caroline and Wake Forest only playing once. You know, especially the Chris Paul year when they played triple overtime and that's it, you know. Um, I will always be mad about that <laughs> in my mind, but, uh, and, and just the home and home and I, I, uh, the imbalanced schedule with having so many teams and not playing everybody twice. I just, I, I feel like something, something was taken away from the league. It's weird because it worked initially. Like you look at like 15, 16, 17, ACC ends this historic Final Four drought. Duke wins a title. Carolina and Syracuse go to the Final Four. Carolina wins a title. Uh, you know, Virginia, a couple of years later, wins a title. Duke should have gone to the Final Four in 18 and 19. Literally, a ball rolls off the rim in 18, and Zion doesn't get the ball in 19. Like, it's it's it was good. Like, it was hanging in there. And then it just feels like everything fell off the cliff. I just, it's just, it's not something, the vibes are off, as the kids would say. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I'm of the belief that this is just cyclical and this is just where we're at now in the league. Um, and, and I have to believe that is true, given the historic nature of the league. So so we'll we'll see the bounce back. But I don't think it's going to be this season. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a strange, strange year in the ACC. But. That also could lead to more drama, more road wins, more craziness. We will discuss that at a later date. CL, thank you so much for, for joining me. I, I hope I won't be on the next ACC Now podcast. <laughs> I hope episode four is Jonas and Steve, or you and Steve, or you and Jonas, or get Chipper in here to relive the glories of yesteryear if we really want to get into the ACC history. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if this is your first time, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast service as we get that going and uh, we will be back next week.